You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Well, you can go ahead and open your Bibles uh, over to 1 Corinthians 15. Probably, I don't have any, I usually have a PowerPoint deal. I I didn't do that this week. Um, So you probably want to, you're probably going to want to make a few notes. So maybe get something, your phone or pen and paper, if you still use those uh, out to, you know, you can write on the person sitting next to you, write on their arm or something. Anyway, um, I just want to encourage you to write down anything that you feel like the Lord really impresses on you during this time, and then you can take that and revisit it later on. I'm mostly going to be reading this morning from the Passion Translation, so if you don't have the Passion Translation, you may just uh, want to listen. But um, I'm going to begin here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to just go ahead and start right at the beginning of the chapter again. Paul took this chapter, we're not going to study all of it, but we're going to go through a fair amount of it. He used this chapter, he came back and he started talking to the believers in his day, and of course the Holy Spirit included it in the scripture for us, about resurrection and about what it is and why it is and why it is so important. It has an absolute important daily uh, practical meaning for us And he's going to tell us in just a second here, as we read these first verses, he's going to tell us this is really the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel. And again, I think culturally somehow, maybe maybe this isn't your experience. Um, Maybe I'm just slow. But it has, uh, you know, we, we focus a lot on the cross. And I don't mean to put that down at all. Obviously, the cross is essential. But the resurrection of Jesus is what separates what he did at the cross from what anybody else did on a cross, which was just die, okay? But the fact that he's been raised, uh, that's a whole different thing. And I want to say this in the beginning. As we talk about resurrection, uh, I, I know there's confusion sometimes about this. I have this conversation a lot with people, and I, and I hear people um, refer to this in different ways. Anyway, resurrection is different than being raised from the dead. All right. Jesus said as a part of our commission that we should go into all the world, that we should uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, right? Preach the gospel to all nations, disciple all nations, all part of the commission that he gave us. People are still raised from the dead by the power of Jesus Christ. I know people who have seen people. I've never seen someone raised from the dead, but I know personal friends who I know very well who have seen people raised from the dead. Some other ministers I know well have seen people raised from the dead. The difference is if your body dies and we pray for you and you are raised from the dead, your body's going to die again or, or, or Jesus is going to come and, and then you'll receive a resurrection body. So being raised from the dead means your body was brought back to life, okay? But it's going to die again. It's still a natural body, in other words, all right? But resurrection is the transformation of a physical body into a spiritual body. The body that Jesus came back with, it's really interesting because it obviously, it still had the marks of the nails, but that body didn't die. That body, Jesus is still in that body. Jesus, 
was our substitute at the cross. He was the first fruits of resurrection. He, what, what he has experienced is the same thing we're going to experience once all of this is wrapped up. Again, if we die and, and we are buried or whatever, if you're cremated, God will still be able to put your body back together. He's going to give you a new one anyway. I don't think it matters what happens to this body, okay? But, but if we die here, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says we will all be raised together and we will be raised in the same condition that he is. We just talked about that as far as what the, him being the first fruits of those who would be raised from the dead means. First fruits always means the harvest is of the same nature as the first fruits, okay? So it's just important for us to realize as we talk about resurrection, we're not just talking about a body coming back to life. We're talking about a complete transformation to a spiritual body. That is why, you know, he didn't walk, we don't have any record of him walking through any walls when he was in his natural body that was born of Mary, right? We don't see that. But as soon as he comes back in that resurrection body, all of a sudden we start to see some different things. We start to see him walking down the road to Emmaus with a group of people and talking to them until they realized who he was and then disappearing from them and being somewhere else. There are all kinds of things. I don't think we, we don't know everything about resurrection bodies, but resurrection is a complete transformation from something. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, what is sown, the, the body, the natural body, when it goes into the earth is sown a natural body, but it comes back a spiritual body. There's a, there's a difference, okay? So when we talk about resurrection, we're talking about more than just something that happens to the body, but it is about the body. Resurrection is about you and I receiving that new uh, spiritual body, God created us, spirit, soul, and body. We are a three-part being. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are together as one. They are three and they are one. And, And none of our brains totally get that, but that's the way they're revealed. And he created man in his image and likeness. We are a three-part being. You you have a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, okay? Well, you're going to be a three-part being throughout eternity. It's the way God created us. So if this body dies, when the resurrection time comes, we will get a new body, all right? I just go into all of that because uh, there, there are people get real concerned about you know, where a loved one is right now or what their condition is. And, and you know, the, the spirit and the soul left the body. Well, where is she now? What's, what's going on? Where, you know, I, I know she's going to be raised. What does that mean? You know, well, what that means when it's talking about resurrection is her, in this case, it's somebody I know, it's his wife who passed away, her spirit and soul are going to begin to live in a new body. And that body can never die. That body is not going to experience sickness. But it's interesting that Jesus' body was still identifiable as his body. I just find all that interesting. That's all. You know, I guess I always figure with things like that. I don't know everything about it. We'll see when we get there. You know, it's going to be exciting. So if you found 1 Corinthians or if you just want to listen chapter 15, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 here. Um, And again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation, just sort of a paraphrase, but they do a really good job with with what's here. Um, So Paul writing, he says, Dear friends, 
let me give you clearly the heart of the gospel. So what he's about to say, he says, this is the heart of the gospel that I've preached to you. The good news that you have heartily received and on which you stand. So the gospel is the thing, it's the foundation that we stand on as believers. He says, for it is through the revelation of the gospel that you're being saved if you fasten your life firmly to the message I've taught you unless you've believed in vain. For I have shared with you what I have received and what is of utmost importance. So what he's about to say is what he says is the heart of the gospel and of utmost importance. The gospel is a big message. I mean, at its core, the gospel is the Son of God came to earth to die for our sins so that we could enter into a relationship with God. He died, he paid the penalty for our sins so that by putting faith in him and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, we can enter into this eternal life and this eternal relationship with God. And, in, and to do that, he came to earth, he died, he was buried, and he was raised again. All right, and so those three elements are there. But in salvation, when we look at the term salvation in the Bible, it is an incredibly broad, it means wholeness. It includes health, wholeness, uh, prosperity of, of spirit, soul, and body. It includes relationships being fixed. I mean, it, it includes, it, it is a removal of, of all of the things that were brought into this earth through the sin of mankind. And and so the Bible talks to us about salvation in three tenses. It says, you were saved, meaning the day I made Jesus Lord of my life, I was saved. I entered into salvation. It says, like it says in this verse, we are being saved. That's talking about that salvation that we've entered into working its way out through our emotions and our thought life and our attitudes and our actions and all of that. So there's this progression going on of God's life in us, changing us. And then it says we will be saved, speaking of when this is all finished and we see Jesus face to face. All right, so so this, on the one hand, this is a huge broad um, subject, but at the same time, Paul says, what I'm about to say to you is of utmost importance. This is the heart of the gospel. This is what we've got to stand on. This is what we've got to believe. And and these next two verses, verses three and four, are believed to be a creed. In that day, you know, there wasn't a lot of stuff written. In that day, a lot of things were passed down orally. And so uh, they would create a creed so that people could remember it, so that people could repeat it. They would get together and they would, they would repeat these things. And so 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 3 and 4, it says, here it is, the Messiah died for our sins. Jesus died for our sins, fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture. He was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead after three days as foretold in the Scripture. So he says, those elements are what we stand on. They're the heart of the gospel. They're of utmost importance. This is what you have believed. This is uh, what you have, you have taken hold of for your salvation as we believe. Jesus died for my sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. All of the prophecies, he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. What he did lined up with the, again, with those Jewish festivals that they'd been practicing year after year after year after year. And he received this, he, he was physically resurrected. 
it's important that we believe that. And there, that more and more, I think because of the way our culture is going, there are more and more Christians who say, well, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I don't know about the resurrection. You know, I, I just, I don't know. Maybe that was just, maybe they made that up, okay? It's important, according to these scriptures, this is a part of it. And we're going to see why today. It's essential that we believe that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead and received a resurrection body. Okay, and we'll look at we'll look at some verses about that. I'm going to jump down to verse 12, still in chapter 15 right now, and look at verses 12 and 13. And again, Paul says the message we preach is Christ who has been raised from the dead. All right, the message we preach is not just that Jesus came, not just that he was a good teacher, not just he was a nice guy, not any of that, but it is Jesus raised from the dead. All right, and again, we'll, we'll see why that's so important in a minute. He says, so how could any of you possibly say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no such thing as a resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay, so again, I know we're standing hard on this. It's important that we believe that Christ was raised from the dead. So let's go over to, um, I want to read, a, read this passage beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 14. This is kind of a longer passage, but I want to, he really, he really, you know how Paul does, he really stands on this. He says, If Christ has not been raised, all of our preaching has been for nothing and your faith is useless. All right, so that makes it pretty central. Moreover, if the dead are not raised, that would mean that we are false witnesses who are misrepresenting God. And that would mean that we have preached a lie stating that God raised him from the dead, if in reality he didn't. If the dead aren't raised up, that would mean that Christ has not been raised up either. And if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. All right, so if Jesus, and that's, I like that. If Christ is not alive, alive now, he's not a piece of history. He's seated at the right hand of God and the Bible says spiritually we're seated with him. We were raised with him. We weren't even born yet. God doesn't get so hung up on time as we do. He doesn't live in time. Christ had every one of us that have received him in, in his heart when he went to that cross, when he was in that tomb, and when he was raised, the Bible says in many places, we were raised to new life with him. Okay, We didn't start into that new life until we believed, until we received, but in his heart, everybody who would ever believe was raised with him. So if Christ is not alive, you're still lost in your sins and your faith is is a fantasy. It would also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, we deserve to be pitied more than all others. But the truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest of those who have died. For since death came through a man, Adam, it is fitting that the resurrection of the dead has also come through a man, Christ. Even as all who are in Adam die, so also we who are in Christ will be made alive. 
but each one in his proper order, Christ the firstfruits, then those who belong to Christ in his presence or at his coming. All right? So, you and I, most of us probably in this room, we accept resurrection, that Christ was resurrected, that we will be resurrected, because for most of us, we've made Jesus the Lord of our life. We've entered into a relationship with him. We've read the Bible. We believe it. And we've accepted that. But we talk with people all the time, I hope. I hope you do. Talk with people who haven't had that experience yet, who don't know him yet. And and so in their mind, they could be coming from a lot of different places. There are a lot of people, and this has been true. We, we see right after the resurrection, people started saying, oh, the disciples stole the body or, you know, this, that, or the other thing, right? And denying the resurrection, it's interesting to me that there's not this big attack on the idea that Jesus died on the cross. There's not a big attack on the idea that Jesus lived, that Jesus of Nazareth, this guy, lived at that time and claimed to be God. That's, there's lots of historical record about that. Pretty much everybody, even people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and don't believe we need salvation— Uh, people who study these things will agree that, yeah, this guy lived and he was crucified. We've got Roman government records about his crucifixion. But when it comes to the resurrection, this is how central, in my mind, the resurrection is. That's where the lies and the theories start to come in. Well, okay, yeah, this guy lived, he died, but he wasn't raised from the dead, okay? So what I want us to do is to be able to have conversations with people who don't believe that yet, and bring them some reasons to believe that that are separate from the Bible, okay? For a start. Does that make sense to you? I think we're here to help people come to know Jesus. And I think in our world, a lot of times that means we need to to think, I, I believe because the word says it. You probably believe because the word says it. That's awesome. That's why we should believe. But if somebody's not there, I still want to help them. I at least want them questioning their belief, you know, because honestly, the, anyway, I won't say it. They're the ones that need to prove their point. But so I just want to give you a few facts and you can, you know, there are loads of books on this that are really well researched and really well written. But I just want to give you a few facts this morning that are, these are things that are pretty well agreed upon by historians and researchers, whether they're Christians or not. Okay, so so these are not all Bible facts. These are things that a lot of scholars believe this. And the first one is that Jesus died by crucifixion. There there are lots of their Jewish records. Josephus wrote about it. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but anyway, uh, Roman historians wrote about it. We, we have the testimony of the disciples, and we have the testimony of the people that the disciples discipled, okay, in the next generation. We have that kind of testimony. We have our Bibles, but there are, there are records, historical records, that Jesus lived. Someone named Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the Messiah, lived and was crucified. Well, the Romans crucified thousands of people. The crucifixion, it's central to us because it's part of the payment for our sin. The shedding of his blood is a payment for our sin. That's central to us. Okay. 
But the crucifixion in and of itself doesn't prove anything about Jesus. There were loads of people. Well, there were, there were two others crucified with him, right? They, over the years, they crucified thousands of people. So that is a well-established fact. And then the fact that the tomb was empty, all right? They actually, and when we read our Bibles, it talks about the fact that the Jewish leaders uh, immediately said all his disciples stole the body. They started that rumor that how the body was stolen, okay? In doing that, they admitted that the tomb was empty. Otherwise, they would have just produced the body, right? But in saying, oh, it was stolen. Well, a couple things about that. Number one, if the disciples stole that body, they had to get by a Roman guard, a sentry, a group of guards that were there on penalty of death to keep anybody from getting into that tomb. So they had to get past that if they were going to steal the body, okay? There was never, uh, in, and this is going to be central to everything I'm going to say right now, those disciples and the people that they brought to the Lord and people like Paul and Jesus' brother James, who came later, okay? Nearly all of those people proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. And they did it in the face of almost certain torture, imprisonment, and death. And there, there are no accounts of any of those people recanting. People don't do that. I know what we see on TV but people who get tortured will say whatever they need to say to get rid of the pain. It's what we know. You don't necessarily get good information with torture. None of them recanted. And in fact, we've been talking about this grace that the Bible talks about of, of perseverance. That actually the records show that those people died in horrible ways and did it praising God and, and thanking God. I mean, it's just not normal what happened. All right, so the idea that they stole the body, it just, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. But nobody, the, they set out to say, um, why, uh, why, the, why they stole the body. But anyway, there is no record. There's no place where anybody ever was able to prove that the body was was stolen, okay? Nobody ever denied that the body was missing. They just said, well, we think they stole it. Okay, does that make sense to you? All right. So again, another evidence is just that Jesus' disciples believed emphatically that he was raised from the dead and that they had personal encounters with him after. Of course, we see that in our Bibles. We see people having personal encounters with Jesus All right, again, they took this testimony to the streets. They convinced other people. They were so convincing that other people in agreement with that also were tortured, imprisoned, and killed without recanting that, okay? That has to be, if you're going to say Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, you got to have some kind of, And there's so much documentation. If you want to research it, there's so much documentation. You've got to have some kind of reason that people would do that because it is not normal. One accepted measure in 
somebody being a witness, like in a court of law or something, is when multiple people saw the same thing at the same time and have the same testimony. We all know that uh, one of the reasons the Gospels are a little different is because our, our view of something might might be different. We might have a little different, you know, you get three eyewitnesses together and they will say different things. But the heart of it was not different. They all said there were 500 people at once that saw him. He walked into rooms with 120 people. All those people continued to say until their deaths, continued to say that they'd had an encounter with this risen Jesus. Again, that's you've you got to do something with it. We, we take that kind of testimony in courts of law. You know, what they say is, well, this can't be a hallucination if 500 people saw it at once, okay? So these people are not just nuts. And, and even the scholars that don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was, they do agree those disciples believed it 100%. And the people they ministered to believed it 100% because of all this evidence of them being martyred and them being tortured. So even people who don't accept the whole thing, they say, well, I don't know what happened, but those guys believed it. No question. Those men and women that were there believed it. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, you still with me? In 1 Corinthians verse uh, 15, verse 5, it says, He, Jesus, appeared to Peter and to the twelve apostles, he also appeared to more than 500 of his followers at the same time, most of whom are still alive as I write this, though a few have passed away. Then he appeared to, uh, the, the Passion says Jacob, he's talking about James, the brother of Jesus, who was a denier uh, until he met the resurrected Christ. He was a denier. Then he became a follower continued to follow the Jewish tradition real strongly, wrote the book of James, was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and obviously had a huge influence after that. That all happened after he came face to face with his brother raised from the dead, okay? Which would, you know, it would, <laughs> it would tend to make you think. Okay, so then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared in front of me. This is Paul, like one born prematurely and ripped from the womb. So here's another measure that people use of a testimony is if somebody who doesn't benefit from this testimony says it or somebody who uh, will not only not benefit but will be harmed by a testimony, if they, you know, if they come along and say, well, yeah, this is going to put me in a bad light, but that's what happened. You know, this is going to, this is going to mess up my life, but that's what happened. Those people are considered more believable. Well, Paul, and we've just studied this over the last few weeks, Paul, and he writes about it in the book of Philippians. He was coming up in his society. He was uh, you know, he was with the best schools, the best scholars, the best everything. He was an up and comer and he ran into the resurrected Jesus on the road and he changed. What a dramatic conversion. He was out there on the road with papers to go arrest and kill Christians. He ran into Jesus and his entire life turned around. That's a huge testimony that Jesus was alive, that Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Again, the same thing with James. He was a denier. He didn't believe. And we have a record in the Bible of, of those 
uh, brothers, you know, say, making fun of him and saying, oh, well, you, you know, if you say you're this, you ought to go up to the feast and, and, uh, and all of that. Well, once James met Jesus raised from the dead, that all turned around. They had dramatic conversions. All right. Another thing about the, the stolen body theory was that when they went to the tomb on the day of first fruits on Sunday morning, when they went to the tomb, nobody was converted right there. Nobody believed that he'd been raised from the dead except John. Peter was still wondering. The women said what any of us would say. I, I, where'd you move him? Where'd you put him? You remember they came to the, they came to him, thought he was the gardener, said, where did you put him? You know, they just thought he was missing. Somebody had taken him. Something had happened. Everybody thought that. And, and people continued to think. John said, he's been raised, just like he said. He's been raised from the dead. They went back, started hiding in the upper room. It wasn't until Jesus walked into that room that they had that encounter with him and knew this is the risen Christ. And so they were changed. They were converted at that time. Okay, so the whole, the whole, he always oh, missing from the tomb thing. Well, that isn't even when the disciples believed. That isn't even when those people believed. It, it was when they had this experience with the written Christ. Okay, that's another part of the testimony is that those people, it's well documented. That 120 people were hiding in the upper room until they had this experience with Jesus and then until the Holy Spirit was poured out, then they're out in the streets boldly proclaiming the resurrected Christ. They go from hiding from the authorities to right out there in the street, to standing up to the authorities, to seeing miracles happen around them. All that happened because they had an encounter with Jesus and then waited for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you these, things, these two things quickly because... I'm running myself out of time as usual. So why is this so important to us? Two things. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. You can just mark it down. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. All right. The resurrection of Jesus validates all of the claims that Jesus made about himself. It validates his person. He claimed to be the Son of God. The resurrection is the, is the validation. It's God's stamp of approval that Jesus is who he said he was. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, And as to his divine nature, according to the spirit of holiness, he was openly designated the Son of God. That word designated means this was a public decree of fact. God raising him from the dead was a God's public decree of the fact that he was the son of God. He was designated the son of God in power in a striking, triumphant, and miraculous manner by his resurrection from the dead, even Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Messiah, the anointed one. So who he was, was authenticated by the resurrection. Again, not by the crucifixion, by the resurrection. Does that make sense to you? Okay, one more. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. It says, uh, He was betrayed and crucified because of our sins and was raised from the dead for our justification, our acquittal, absolving us of all sin before God. Let me read that one to you from the 
Passion Translation. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised back to life to prove that he had made us right with God. So the resurrection also validates the work of the cross. Again, lots of people died on crosses. Lots of people were buried in tombs. This one was raised from the dead and stayed alive and was seen by multitudes and multitudes of people. And he's still alive and we have a relationship with him because of what he did here. So here's, I'll just leave you with this. So the resurrection becomes, um, how many of you have been recently to uh Sam's or Sam's Club or Costco or someplace like that. Am I the only poor person who's had to go in there? Yeah. And you walked out with way more stuff than you went in to get in your cart. Uh, you go through, you, you load up your cart, you go to pay and you get a receipt. And that receipt, you get to the door and somebody checks that receipt, sort of. They, you know, they check that receipt. They look in your cart. They look at it. They look at your card. They do that. The resurrection becomes our receipt for the fact that, you know, what you're saying at the door is, look, the price is paid for all this stuff in this cart. The price is paid. I'm walking out of here with it. It belongs to me. The resurrection is exactly that to us. It is like our receipt from God that says, All the promises of God are yes and amen for my life. My eternity, it belongs belongs to me and it belongs to him. But you know what I'm saying? All of the blessings of God, they belong to me. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says this is how we get saved. That we believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead. Right, And we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. The Bible teaches us that faith, real faith in our heart, always affects what we say. We declare it. All right, Those two work together. But we believe in our heart. This is how people get saved. We believe in our heart. It's amazing. It doesn't just say, I believe that he was the son of God. That's part of it. I believe that he was crucified. Part of it. But what the scripture says is, I believe in my heart that Jesus was, that God raised him from the dead and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I submit my life to him, okay? So this is absolutely central. And so on the one hand, God made it so easy for us to give our life to Jesus. He made it so easy for us to to call on him and to ask him to be our savior. But it begins with believing that the son of God came to earth to pay for our sins, that his death on the cross did pay for our sins, and that that fact is verified by the fact that God raised him from the dead. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So I don't know everybody here. I don't know where you stand with the Lord, with all of this. I'm just going to offer the invitation. If you've never taken that step in your life, if you've never uh, believed in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, that he was raised from the dead for you, for you, okay? And you would like to pray that prayer today and receive him. And and it's just an acceptance of who he is into your life. And and it's saying from your heart that, you know what, Jesus, I'm accepting you today as my savior. 
And I'm confessing that you are God the Son, that you died for my sin, you were raised from the dead. Please come into my life. It's that simple, but it's the most important decision anybody ever makes. All right. So is there anybody here? Yeah, I'm going to embarrass you. You shouldn't be embarrassed, okay? I shouldn't have said it that way. It's just I know it's hard for people to raise their hand, but it's like, hey, this is a celebration. So if there's anybody here and you want to make that decision today, would you raise your hand? We'll pray with you, okay? And if you're out there tuning in with somebody, then I'm just going to encourage you The words you speak don't so much matter. What's coming out of your heart is what God's looking at. So I just encourage you, listen to what we just said. Just pray a simple prayer to the Lord, but receive what he did into your life. And you'll enter into this incredible relationship like Boyd just talked to us about. And and the other thing is maybe you're here and you you know the Lord and you've, you've done all that, but you haven't been close with him. And, and if that's you, I would just encourage you to come up. Let me pray with you after service. I'd love to pray with you and just help you get back on track with them. You know, we've, we've all been through this, you know, and uh, we just want to help. Did you get anything out of this? All right, let's stand up and pray. And I will remember to pray over the food. I usually forget that. Thank you, Lord. Father, this morning, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the gift that we have received of your son. Lord, it is just astonishing the grace and the mercy and the love that you have for every one of us, that you would give your son because you loved us so much so that every one of us could have eternal life. We, All we can do is say thank you, and it falls so short of what we have in our hearts about it. But we do thank you. And Lord, I, I pray, Father, for all of us as your, your church, Lord, in this valley, that, Father, as we interact with our friends and our neighbors and people who don't know you yet, Lord, that you will give us the words to speak that will help them to enter into that life. It isn't about grabbing a religion. It isn't about that. It's about relationship with Almighty God and fulfilling his wonderful dream and purpose for every one of our lives. We want it for all of our friends, all of our neighbors, all of our family members. It's the most wonderful thing there is. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, that the word that we've heard, whatever stood out to us, Lord, that those, those words will go deep into our heart, Lord. And, and that, Father, as we go out, we will be able to share them with other people. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And we thank you for the food that you have provided by so many hands, Lord. Bless the people that brought it. And Father, help us to just have a great time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we always do this here. We always just declare this. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world as we're going out. And we do that on the count of three. All right, so one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. All right, go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.